I like that song. That song has been very powerful to me over the last few years. I'm very thankful uh, that we were able to sing it today. Do you trust all of it? Every piece, good or bad. You trust everything to Jesus. Uh, good morning. <laughs> My name is JC. I'm the family pastor here at Brookwood. Uh, we are continuing our series uh, in the book of James, uh, which is a book about Christian living, yes, and it should be taken more as the evidence of what a Christian looks like rather than a manual for trying harder. Uh, so hopefully you're not feeling that weight and burden. Uh, Jesus took that for you, okay? So it absolutely is about Christian living, yes, 100%, but it is about examples and an evidence of what we should look like, and it should cause us to move if we don't look like that, okay? Okay. Uh, so I want to talk to you today uh, about the American dream. Now, no one taught a class on this. You know, this wasn't on television when we were a kid, and it wasn't required programming. Uh, but we all know about it. We know about the American dream. And so today I want to define it as I know it in my terms to you today. Uh, and so the American dream in my words is simply this. If I work hard enough, long enough, and I live in the United States of America, then I can achieve and receive anything that I want. Now, the reality is this. You get to be an adult, right? Like, that sounds good. In fact, it wants to be something that you teach to your kids, right? Like, work hard. You can do this. You can get whatever you want. Put your mind to it. You're good, right? But then you get to be an adult, and you're like, it's not true. But not only is it not true, it doesn't mean we don't work at it. But we end up disappointed. We end up dissatisfied with the American dream. In fact, as Dave Ramsey would say, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. <laughs> and it's true. Man, it's like we're going through the motions, right? Like our wheels are spinning to get stuff, to gain achievements, to make progress. And ultimately, we are still dissatisfied. Now, not all of these desires are bad, right? Like, God gave us great desires, unbelievable desires. In fact, when you read uh, about how he created the earth with Adam and Eve, man, they were, there was all kinds of stuff they could take place in. Like, they were running around tigers. Like, that's pretty sweet, right? But ultimately, we kind of use some of these desires that God gave us as God instead of God being God. And so God gave us wonderful desires like love and joy and the abundant living type of life. But not only that, but he gave us sex and supposed to be practiced in the context of marriage, but ultimate joy and not just for producing kids, but for your pleasure. He also gave us rhythms to live by. He created rhythms for the Israelites to celebrate, but also to rest. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not sound like a God who is against your satisfaction. I mean, seven times the Israelites were to celebrate and have feast. That means God said, commanded, you will celebrate seven times every year. God, God wanted us to enjoy him, enjoy life with him. And so today, my hope is by going through my particular passage today in James chapter 4, that we'll be able to talk about our desires in an authentic way. Uh, and talk about, one, how very selfish we are, uh, and you'll probably walk away feeling that, but two, how gracious our God is, and how much he loves us and cares for us. 
So today we'll be in James chapter 4. Uh, if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. If you got your phone, you can swipe there. If you brought your scrolls, you can roll those out. Whatever you've got. It's God's Word. We love it. Okay? James chapter 4. I'm just going to read through the passage so you can feel the weight of this. Here we go. Start in verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Anybody in conflict today? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I will say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. And another translation says, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. See, this passage is unbelievably intimidating. Because even reading through it, you feel the weight of your desires. This language is strong and it is passionate and you can miss it hoping that you will just glance by this passage to get to the next one. But James makes sure to point out very clearly what our selfish desires can truly do to us. So I want to help you a little bit today and hopefully help myself as we walk through this passage. First, our selfish desires promote war within What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. See, there are two wars happening here today in this particular passage. One is the war that is happening inside of you, the war that's happening in your body. See, this word desires in this particular passage speaks to things that are an end in themselves. So in other words, this isn't a step to get somewhere. This isn't do this in order to gain more of an understanding of who God is. No, it's simply consumption for the sake of consumption. Self-indulgent pleasures. I want this because it will make me feel good, and that's it. Easiest way I can think about this is like a buffet, right? Like you go to buffet. I love buffets, especially Chinese buffets are my favorite. Okay? But when you go, you're only thinking, I need to eat all of these things because they are delicious and it'll make me feel good when I eat them. Right? You are not thinking about how you're going to feel after that trip <laughs> at all. You are consuming for the sake and pleasure of consumption. And that is the end. There's no further, there's no step past that, that's it. And man, we have a lot of those desires. And see, these desires are from our flesh, and they literally are waging war against your life in Christ. And please don't miss it when James says war here. 
He's not saying a rousing game of categories, okay? The picture that this language gives is literally of soldiers fighting. Fighting against your soul. The selfish desires, the self-indulgent desires that we have in this life are literally warring against your relationship with Jesus. And what's bad is, is even when we get those things, they disappoint us, right? They have the ability and the power to cause anxiety and stress and discontentment. And rather than go, oh, that's probably not a good idea, we go, well, maybe if I just get some more. And maybe if, maybe if I get this, or maybe if I get this, maybe that will just disappear. But they continue to consume and they are warring against you. And I know, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily popular to say all the time, but there's an enemy out there and he wants to destroy and wreck your life. It, that's in the actual Bible. Like you can read it. He wants to destroy you. And our selfish desires, especially where we live, is a significant tool in his arsenal. And they are warring against the abundant, transformed life. Because they give us a picture of what God wants, uh, wants from us, but God is nowhere to be found, only us. But not only is it a war within our own body, it's also a war within the body of Jesus Christ and the church. See, James here is saying that we will kill, we will murder to get what we want. Now, that language should, you know, intimidate you a little bit. It's scary to talk about those things, Right? And there's a lot of people that believe James is actually saying, yes, they were murdering in the church here. This was actually happening. And there's some history that kind of gives a little bit to those scholars that say that. There's a group of Jewish zealots, and they would go around, and they would literally, they'd kill people. But most of the time, they'd kill people outside of the church. They wouldn't kill people inside of the church. Now, in my opinion, you know, I kind of lean with some other scholars that say James is probably not talking about they've actually committed murder. I, I lean towards that because James doesn't really, like, beat around the bush very much. So if someone was being murdered, he probably would address it in more than like a section of a verse, right? Like he would, he would, he would hit it hard. But not only that, but there's some language around it that kind of lets you know this is probably an eventuality, not an actual occurrence. And so what James is saying here, most likely, again, in my opinion, is that these desires will cause you eventually to murder someone if left unchecked. Now, here's the thing, right? If you're like me, you're like, I can never get there. I would never get to that place where I would actually murder someone. So I'll give you some things that we do instead of that that probably are really close to the same thing. Anybody ever ended a relationship over a conflict before? Anybody ever blackballed someone, isolated someone, said that you would never talk with, do business with, do anything with that person ever again? I mean, Jesus even went as far to say when he came to the earth, murder, yeah, that's, that's that. We definitely don't do that. But do you hate someone? If you've hated someone, you've committed murder in your heart. So James is saying these desires will take us further than we want to go. Way further. And they are waging war against you. And when you don't get what you want, you will wage war against someone else. Now, please don't miss this. Sometimes we get this attitude in church when we read the Bible. We're like, that's for everybody else, right? Like, that's everybody else that's struggling with all that. No, James wrote this to church folks. 
In fact, the New Testament is full of lots of examples of the church having issues. The church in Corinthian, in uh, Corinth, it was having issues. They were suing each other in the church because they couldn't settle it. There were two women uh, in Philippi that you can read about in the book of Philippians. They were literally causing the entire church in Philippi to be divided. Not only that, but Paul and Barnabas were so upset and frustrated that they couldn't really even talk to each other anymore. Like, this is a normal occurrence. And it's in the church. The body that's supposed to work together. The body that's supposed to pick each other up. The body that's supposed to support the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That body is the one warring against each other. Why? Because of our individual selfish desires. In fact, the passage right before this that Perry preached last week, it was really talking about wanting leadership in the church, that these people were rising up and they wanted to be in charge. They wanted to make the decisions in the church. So James was calling, we need some peacekeepers. We need some people to make peace in the church. And we do that, man. I mean, I asked for a song today, right? We want what we want. That's what we want. But man, it will take us down a crazy path, a path that we never envisioned, never planned, but that is where we will end up. In fact, when people were following Jesus, the disciples even argued over who would sit next to Jesus in heaven. A mom of two of the disciples got into the argument and asked for her sons to sit next to Jesus. And Jesus gave us a picture of, hey, if you want to get there, you just need to lose everything. If you lose your life for my sake, then you will gain. But if you gain everything, you'll lose your own soul. So not only do these desires make us miserable inside, they also make us miserable to be around other people. But I want to ask you a question. Are you at war? I mean, they are. These desires are. But are you? Are you fighting or are you just giving in? When the people around you are saying, yeah, but you can just do it this way. But you know God is calling you to something different. Do you fight? Do you fight for the hearts of your friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus Christ? Is it a fight? Or you just kind of throw your hands up and hope somebody one day tells them about Jesus Christ? Are you fighting this war? Are we waving a white flag and giving in to our selfish desires? Are you satisfying the God-given desires we have in a God-honoring way or a way that is designed specifically to bring pleasure to self? And these things that aren't necessarily our decisions but circumstances you find yourself in, what is God teaching you in the midst of those circumstances? And what are you doing about what he's teaching you? Not only do our desires promote war within, but they also plan to exclude God. Verse 3, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I will say it again because once was not enough for James. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. This is strong language. I mean, no one wants to picture themselves as an enemy of God, right? 
Like when you're thinking as a kid growing up that you want to be a superhero, you're not thinking, oh yeah, I'd like for God to be the villain and me to kind of be the hero. Nobody thinks that, right? Like that seems dumb. No one would say, yeah, me and God, let's match up. But yet that's how we live our lives. In fact, this is talking about our prayers not being answered. And man, I could spend a whole time on this whole passage about prayer because I think it's huge. But I think sometimes we just get in our mind that because God loves us, he'll just give us whatever we ask for. And we treat them like Santa Claus, or we treat them like a magic eight ball, right? And not like God. But see, Scripture is pretty clear on prayer. And yes, there are some unconditional promises with prayer, 100%. But there are some conditional promises with prayer. And those conditions are that our heart aligns with God's heart. That's even what it means when we say we're praying this in the name of Jesus. It doesn't mean, here's all the stuff I want, and then I'm going to invoke Jesus' authority and power by using his name and get what I want. It means, no, everything I'm praying for is what Jesus wants. And so I pray these things in the name of Jesus, because that's what he wants. That's what his prayer is. But here's the thing. That's great. That's great advice James has given, but James is really even saying here, we don't even ask. God. Now, why wouldn't we ask God for things? Scripture teaches us he's a good father. Well, because when our desires are self-indulgent, when our desires are not of God, and we know they're not of God, we generally don't go to God with those desires. We generally will find a way away from God, and we will exclude him from our plans. Now, for most of you, you probably wouldn't say you're avoiding God, but you may have avoided church, you may have avoided some Bible studies, you may have avoided some people who like to talk about Jesus too much, right? Because they're frustrating you, because their life looks different than yours, and sometimes you don't pray, and you don't want to read your Bible at home because you just know where you're at. And for some reason, you feel as if God is going to judge you, and God is not going to receive you. And the God that you know or believe in, whether you say that you do or not, is one that holds you at arm's length and says, you're too bad for me. You're too messed up for me. Too much sin for me. So we don't approach God. In fact, I want to go as far to say, not only do we not approach God and run away, but we find ways around him. We actively exclude him from our lives. Now, what does this look like? Well, let me ask you a question. That project that you've been working on at work, when's the last time you asked God about it? What he wants you to do? When's the last time before you went in a meeting, you said, God, what do you want to do in this meeting? Not help me get what I want. What do you want to do? I mean, what if you just got in a meeting and you said, all right, I know we got a big meeting today. I know it's tough, but let's just ask God what he wants from this meeting. When's the last time you asked God, what do you want me to do with my schedule? What do you want me to do with my family's calendar or do we think God loves busyness just more and more and more and more that's what God wants from us more and more and more and more the God who gave us a day called the Sabbath to rest do nothing so you can receive from God I mean, how easy is it to just go away from God's influence and counsel in your life? 
And we do. We kind of treat God as in a room up there, but not in us, not around us, not influencing us, no power, none of those things. And that's not who God is. In fact, this is a picture of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, I want to share a couple verses because this is what we do. This is exactly what we do. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, he wasted all his money. He wasted all his money in exuberant, wild, more than living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve which is sometimes what God does to us he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs the young man became so hungry that even the pods that the pigs were eating looked good to him but no one gave him anything and please don't miss this and I want you to miss this For us, who are believers, we may go, man, but I bet he had a good time right before that. No, no, no. He chose to eat with the pigs at the beginning. We just get a picture of what it looks like at the end. He chose to waste his life. He left the comfort and safety and love of a good father. Why? So he could feel good. And he excluded his dad, he excluded his family, and he most certainly excluded God. And he wasted all his money on self-indulgent pleasures, consuming for the sake of consumption. See, the picture is the same for us. And God's given us unbelievable blessings, and man, we just waste it. We, we take what God's given us, and we just spend it on ourselves, right? We, we, tend, up, we tend to cherish the gifts rather than the giver. We love the stuff. We don't always love the son. In fact, it talks about this later in the chapter. In verse 4, it talks about that specifically. But also in verse 8, which you'll hear about a little bit later, it talks about that as well. And check this out in verse 4. You adulterers, enemy of God, that is strong. Enemy of God. When our desires are divided, we try and exclude God, absolutely, but we also don't include him in our plans. We don't include him in our stuff. And God is asking not just to be included. God is asking to be in charge. The American dream and the kingdom life cannot both be attained. I'll say that again. The American dream... And the kingdom life cannot both be attained. Why? Because the American dream is about me. The kingdom life is about God and the kingdom that he rules. So you must choose one. You cannot choose both. And what James here is saying is if you choose the world, if you choose the American dream, you make yourself an enemy of God. And he wants you to get it so much that he said it twice. If you make yourself a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. 
So are we asking God about who he is? Do we want to know what his plan is? Do we want to know what he wants from us in a situation? Or do we kind of hope he just never talks to us? Don't tell me that. Don't ask me to do that. Don't make me uncomfortable. Don't make me do anything difficult. Don't bless me with an opportunity to see you work. I mean, how are you using that bonus from work? How are you using the promotion at work? What about your family's vacation? What about the house where you stay at or the next house that you want? Do you want to go with that group? Do you want to stay in this area? All of those God-led decisions, but do we let him lead? Not only do we war within and exclude God, but we also provoke God's jealousy. In verse 5, what do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit of God is placed within us is filled with envy? I love Perry for this because as I was reading uh, some commentaries, two, two of the commentaries said specifically, this is one of the most difficult verses to interpret in the Bible. So I was like, thank you, Perry, for giving me this passage. Uh, but the reason why here is this word jealousy. It's used like human jealousy. So I want to do my best today to kind of explain to you God's jealousy and human jealousy uh, and not take too long, okay? Uh, human jealousy. The world's form of jealousy is when we look at what someone else has and we want it because we don't have it. And it could be a material possession. It could be a person, a relationship with a person. It could be a skill set or a passion, right? It's why I love Guitar Hero when it came out, which is a little video game with a fake guitar controller because I felt like I could actually play the guitar and felt like a superstar afterwards, right? I know none of you felt that in here, but me, I absolutely did, right? But we want that because we don't have that. God's jealousy is not that way. Why? Because God owns all of it. And he most certainly owns you and me. Every desire, we were created to worship God. We were created to give him thanks. And so God is rightly jealous. So I want to kind of paint you an example of what this would look like. Imagine for a second that there's a good kingdom, a kingdom that is benefiting the whole world, a kingdom that's great and fantastic, and it is led by an unbelievable king who is compassionate. He serves others. He loves others. And he opens his home up to anyone who wants anything. But there's some families that think they could do a better job than the king. So they rebel against the kingdom. And in their rebellion, because their desires are an end in themselves and they don't think that far ahead, they abandon one of their kids. And the king of the kingdom finds a boy, finds a girl, who is a part of a rebellious family, who rebelled against a good kingdom. And he picks that boy up, he picks that girl up, and he brings them back home. And he cleans them up, he gives them a royal robe, he says, anything in my kingdom is yours. But the family comes looking for the boy. Not because they want the boy back, but they're jealous of what he has. And they don't want him to find happiness. So they wage war against the king and the kingdom. And the good king protects the people of the kingdom, but he places his son right in harm's way, knowing that he has what it takes to win the war and sacrificially gives his son as a sacrifice to save the life of a rebel boy or a rebel girl. That story's me, and that story's some of you in this room. We're a rebellious family who's an enemy of the king. 
We had it all in a good place. The king wanted our good, but we thought we could do it better. So he lived the way we wanted. But we hurt some people in our path. And the king, instead of coming and going, hey, you left the kingdom, you're lost. Should have thought about that. He picks us up. And he carries us back. And he makes sure that we know that we are loved and we are cared for. So much so that he puts his own son, his one son, in the way to fix the problem that we started. That is God's jealousy. Absolutely 100% right that we left everything, every benefit, every protection, every single piece that God gave to us. We left And God, rather than responding in anger, he is jealous and he will not stop. He will pursue us. He will find that abandoned rebel boy and rebel girl. And when he does, he is filled with grace. He will pick us up and carry us back home. No guilt, no shame, no fear. The king loves all. That is God's jealousy. See, God desires and deserves complete allegiance to him. Not one speck, not one piece, not one behavior, not one relationship, not one habit that does not belong to him. It is all God's. Even if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ, you belong to him. And the good king will set himself up against those who fight against his faithful few. Do not provoke the jealousy of God because it will result in God's wrath. He will let you eat with the pigs so that you can understand the joy of the Father. Can you imagine God jealous for you? loves you so much. He is so for you. He gave his own son to show you how much he wants every piece of you. The good, the bad, and most certainly the ugly. God wants it all. So these desires, that make us miserable inside, they make us miserable with others. We exclude God when we feel him and consume And we also provoke God's jealousy when we follow after him. Does everybody feel that weight? Everybody feel that? You can nod. It's okay. You can nod. Let's get to verse 6. But, thank you Jesus for clauses. But, he gives us even more grace to stand against our desires. As the scriptures say in Proverbs 3, 34, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Another translation says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we have selfish desires, man, that's not what the transformed life is like. That's not what it means to live a life as a follower of Jesus. What do we do? What can we do? What's the evidence look like for us that we know we're fighting the war? We're winning the war against these desires. Well, two things for sure. One, 
We can ask for things with anticipation. There are desires that are godly. In Galatians, we know them as the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Those things are for our satisfaction and contentment. God desires for us to get those things from him. God desires for us to receive those things. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says this, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, align your heart with God, and God will give you exactly what you want. If you want God, you will get God. If you want self-indulgent pleasures that leave you miserable, you will get self-indulgent pleasures that leave you miserable. If we are in line with who God is, we will get what we want because we will want him. See, our selfish desires cause us harm and they will harm other people, but kingdom desires, they produce life and they produce life for others and they don't leave us dissatisfied. They leave us content and filled up. See, our problem isn't that we desire things. In fact, C.S. Lewis sums this up, and I could not preach this message without giving you this quote because it is so good. And he just says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, split allegiances, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And most of you know you've been making mud pies in a slum. You can't figure out why you're making not, not making any progress. You feel dirty. You feel empty. You feel like you're missing. But the satisfaction that comes from the life transformed by Jesus Christ is so much more. And it is so much greater than anything you could ask or imagine. God is for us. And not only should we know that we can want great things from God and that he will give them to us and we can anticipate and have confidence and expectation that God will do that if we are aligned with his heart. But we also know that these desires, these godly kingdom desires can lead us to approaching God with humility. He gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Could you imagine God opposing you? Yet when we follow after our selfish desires, that is exactly what God desires to do. Oppose us. Because we don't want him. We don't want God when we're prideful. We want us. We know better. We, we think we got it. But for those of us who humbly approach Jesus, God the Father, understanding that we don't deserve access, God gives us grace, more grace than how dirty, nasty, and horrible our selfish desires are. See, the God of this universe will oppose the proud, 
but he will give grace to the humble. This, this passage of scripture should give us encouragement in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. My people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Some of you today in this room have been running from God. You've been making mud pies in a slum. Maybe it seemed fun at first, maybe it seemed good at first, but now you're feeling the weight. Now you're feeling the burden you're feeling the hurt, the stress, the anxiety, the frustration, the dissatisfaction. God is saying to you today, bring it to me. Bring it all to me. Humble yourselves. Seek my face. Repent of your sins. And let me help you. Let me be God is what God is saying. A life fully satisfied through Jesus Christ will not leave you disappointed. And guess what? In the midst of all of our desires, God desires something too. He desires you. And not just a piece of you. All of it. Every single piece. The things that nobody knows but him. The things that you'd never share out loud that he's heard. The decisions, the relationships, the words, the ideas, the thoughts, the dreams. He wants it all. Today, I'm asking you to get quiet. And I'm asking you to ask God what he wants you to do today. And I want you to listen to his voice. And do what he's asking you to do. See, I believe the Spirit today is drawing some of you back to the Father. You've made yourself an enemy of God and he is calling you back. He wants you back. He wants you back. Daddy wants you back. He's paid it all through his son Jesus Christ. And today... He wants you with him. Do not leave this room without asking God, God, what do you want from me? Some of you today, it's your salvation. You've been playing the game, pretending like everything's cool and okay, but today is the day that you give it all to God. For some of you, you just need to be reminded of God's grace, that he loves you, that he's got this, that he is filled with so much love for you. So today, there's going to be counselors down here, and we're going to pray in a moment. But when we pray, ask God, God, what do you want me to do to respond to this? What desires do I need to wage war against? Do you want all of me? Do you have all of me? Let's pray. God, in this moment, 
We're just going to ask you what you want from us. Speak to your people today. God, thank you that your grace covers all of our nastiness. Thank you that your son is the perfect sacrifice, lacking nothing. That we can approach you with confidence, but also with humility, because we know Jesus paid it all. God, I pray today that you would birth people anew. That they could not leave this room without sharing with someone what you did in their heart and life today. God, I pray that you'd resource us as we fight the war. Not only within ourselves, but also within the church body, God. As we should be an influence on our community, God. Help us to continue to show love to people. To continue to resource them. To continue to reach those who don't know you. God, we're your people. We're so thankful that you've accepted us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Soul training for this week is to pause every day and ask, what do I want right now? And then ask some questions. Where is this coming from? What's the end? And is this what God desires most for me? Thank you guys for being here.